before this next conversation, a warning it contains discussion about child sex abuse, which some may find distressing. We know about 8% of Australian adults were sexually abused as children. But what if I told you the majority are not perpetrated by teachers or clergy or even strangers in the park? 85% are abused by someone they know. Now, if you take away the 50-odd percent that were not biologically related to the child, that leaves 35.6% of known child sex abuse cases that were committed by a parent, a sibling, a cousin, a grandparent, an aunt or an uncle. But so taboo and therefore so grossly underreported is intrafamilial child sex abuse or incest. Experts say that figure could actually be 70 to 90% of child sex abuse cases. When Tanya Lee was nine, she was sexually abused by her father in secret. That would go on for five years. She's now turning this taboo inside out in her podcast, No Laughing Matter. Tanya, welcome to you. Thanks for having me, Andy. It's hard to talk to you about this without asking about your own experience. So let's start there. Around 15% of abusers are the victim's biological father. So you're not alone. That's right. Tell me about your family. Um, on the outside, we look like pretty much any other working class family, but um, there was a, a lot of uh, um, um, emotional abuse and, um, and and my dad was a workaholic and my mum was a stay-at-home mum, And uh, but for all intents and purposes, we were okay. You know, we looked all right on the outside. Um, and then dad lost his business and things changed for the family and also for dad and me. And um, our relationship slowly became sexual and it lasted for a period of four and a half years until I, until I was 14. At the time, did you know that it was wrong? I knew to keep my mouth closed about it. I knew not to say anything Were to anyone. Were you told to keep your mouth closed? No, no, not initially, not for the first couple of years because it was a very slow progress um, and when it became really adult, oh, that's not the right word, but when it became quite more intimate, uh, intimate, um, Dad said there's something your mum can never know. It has to be something between us. And But I already knew that. I always, I always knew to keep it quiet. Um, and it, uh, it, you know, it became, it became penetrative as, as in, in, in the later years between 12 and 14. And, uh, at that point I ceased to enjoy it. There was a time when it was quite pleasurable. And, um, so it was it was difficult to understand during those last couple of years, and then I, I left home due to tennis. Um, I was a good tennis player, so um, and that's when it ceased to uh, continue. Did anyone know what was going on? No, no. Your mo- your mother? Where? What was she? Uh, she was around at the time, but just not not focused on what was happening. No, she wasn't. She 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 was always around or around a lot of the time, but. Uh, it was a classic household where dad was the, the breadwinner and mum was a stay-at-home mum and very much under his power and um, and he was the boss. So I always believe mum had an inkling but was never really sure and uh, 
And one time she walked in on us and I was about 12 at the time and I always thought she saw more than she did and until years later when it came out, she said, I, I actually saw the sheet over you. I didn't see anything other than that but I did think it was strange that you were in bed with your father in the middle of the day. Um, but she wasn't the most, she wasn't the smartest woman in the world. She was very naive. Yeah, that's how I'd explain my mum. When did you find out that your dad was also sexually abused as a child? Mum used to have these sort of conversations with me about family members that I probably shouldn't have been having when I was a young kid and I knew more about family members than than most kids would have known. Um, and she told me that what happened to Dad, that he was sexually abused by his uncle between five and seven and then Dad did a paper run between nine and 11 and he was the the, the boss's, the, the paper, the man that did the paper run's favourite boy and so he had had been sexually abused a lot during his young life. And um, so I knew that while this was happening, Only, but I didn't fully understand it. That's, you know, like I'm, I was an impressionable minor um, and I, I, I often think how I knew not to say anything and it was like that was intuitive. Uh, and, and, you know, and a lot of me as I got older felt sorry for my dad, what had happened to him. And he had nowhere to go, whereas I've, you know, I've done lots of therapy and help on myself. So on that, can you ever fully come to terms with some of those experiences that you've had? And maybe you can tell me a little bit about what the fallout of those experiences has been in your adult life. I've certainly come to terms with it. It's, um, it's something that I don't think you ever move on from. Um, so it's always, a, it's, a, it's a part of the fabric of who I am. Um, and the fact that I work in the field or doing my podcast series, I'm surrounded by it a lot. So it's it's always present in my life. Um, I struggle sometimes, but overall, I mean, I'm a 54 year old woman. I'm 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 I do okay these days, but for a long time, I I, I didn't. Retired paediatrician and 2019 Senior Australian of the Year, Dr Sue Packer, who spent nearly 30 years treating child sex abuse survivors and uh, victims, says nine in ten perpetrators are either close family friends or family members. So why is there this feeling of ina inaccuracy, if you like, about the numbers that we have on cases of incest? Because people like me don't come forward and take their father to court. We don't, you know, go to the police biological father or grandfather, you're not going to want to break up the family. I mean, it's, um, the, the toll on the family is just, for me personally, I wish I, I wish it hadn't have come out. If anything, life got worse for a number of years for everybody in my family. And probably still to this day, my, my brothers would be just as ashamed of what happened to me as I, I'm ashamed. Um, so I don't ever. I don't think the stati I know the statistics aren't accurate because there's just in my podcast series so many of the um, storytellers, as in the victim survivors, they've they've not taken their family members to court. If you just join me, Tanya Lee is a survivor of child sex abuse at the hands of her father. We're talking about crimes of incest, which experts say are chronically underreported for reasons Tanya just outlined. Your podcast series anonymises the experiences of these survivors. In a, in a way, it kind of sidesteps uh, the questions about 
consequences and people can speak freely. And you have a cavalcade of Australian actors and uh, well-known voices who present these survivors' stories. Fiona O'Loughlin, David Field, Susie Porter, uh, Damon Herriman, but also quite a lot of comedians like Adam Hills and Gene Kitson and Luke Heggie. Why comedians to retell some of these arguably, well, very, very dark stories? I think we have an affinity with comedians. We feel comfortable with them, especially those ones that make us laugh. And so we're used to them making us laugh. And and it's such an anomaly that they're telling such a serious story. And I, when I came up with the concept, I knew that it would protect the, the victim survivors, who I call the storytellers, and keep them safe and also keep the audience safe with a familiar voice that we all recognise in most cases and in some of the and most of the voices make us laugh. And even though this is like there's nothing amusing amusing about the podcast, but they all tell it in such an emphatic way and we're familiar with their voices. And it's just uh, one of the, the storytellers wrote a request to Paul McDermott and she just said it keeps a safe distance and yet gives amplification um, and I just, I, I, when I read that in the letter to Paul, I just thought this is just perfect. It just sums up. And you said... And, and, in, and in that letter, she also wrote, this shit needs to be taken out of the dark corners it thrives in, which sounds like a, a great motto for what you're trying to do. Yes. And, and you know, and I've got to know all the storytellers so well and, and they're all they're all damaged people but want to make, want to see change and want us to talk about this so much more than we do because... You just said earlier to me, too little about this conversation, it gets swept under the carpet and too much people just shut down and don't want to hear it. You couldn't, you nailed it when you said that to me just earlier. Thank you for that, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> and because you have a window into these experiences uh, that perhaps even the researchers and sociologists have because of this chronic underreporting of this kind of crime, can you can make a few connections or string together a couple of patterns here about these kinds of crimes? I'll just say mine, my personal experience. My dad, uh, when things changed for our family or changed for myself and dad, dad had lost his business and lost, I, I guess he was masculated and lost his power. He went from being the man of the house to and like I said, losing all his power to being able to have power over me, power over somebody. And, and, and that's a lot of the time commonplace. So when you say, what's the pattern, that can be one of the patterns. Um, and and, the, and, and I, I, I actually recognise that. I didn't know that at the time, but I certainly years later, I understood to some extent why what happened to me happened. Part of the mission that you're on is, in doing this podcast, is to sort of uh, demand a more specific government-funded and managed counselling service specifically for victims and survivors of, of crimes like these, of incest. Why isn't there that focus? Why isn't there are people just too, too terrified to face up to this statistic? I, I would say that a lot of people would say that there is as far as it's under the umbrella of child sexual abuse, but it gets lost in that umbrella. It's not actually specified. And um, so what goes on under someone's roof is never really properly discussed. And 
that's what I would like to bring out and have uh, little people, as in children, educated about that. And 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 I asked I asked someone, Dr. Russ Pratt, just yesterday, how do we do that, where you're not sort of doing any damage at such a young age? And he said, well, it's like you teach your children to cross the road, or you teach them to go to have how to swim. It's just introducing them slow, slow, uh, slowly to protecting their private parts and, and you know, w- w- wash time, bath time. Um, that's the sort of stuff I'd like to have talked about more in schools. And I'd also like the government to spend more money on prevention and intervention. That's my big one. How, how can you prevent something as closeted and insidious as this? There's an organisation called the, the National Office uh, for child safety, and they've just they're they're doing a pilot program, and it's called prevention and intervention, and it's about potential perpetrators who are concerned about how they're feeling and their thoughts, and they can go somewhere anonymous or phone somewhere anonymous and have a professional counsellor talk to them. Um, so that's just starting out here in Australia now. It's been run successfully in the UK and Europe and it's called Stop It Now. So that's really where also my heart lies because once the horse is bolted, that little person has to live with that. No matter how much therapy they have for the rest of their life, their life is tainted. Um, so I'm, I'm all for prevention if it can, if it's, can possibly happen in this country. Well, Tanya, it's incredible work you do, and thank you so much for being my guest. Thank you for having me, Andy. ABCRN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.